Okay, we are live. Hello, Tiffany Rothman. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. Ah, well, it's my honor to have you. This is exciting. You, you, um, there are so many aspects of your story that I want to explore. You are an actor in, in critically acclaimed films and TV. You're also a an MBA and a PhD in psychology. You've been a school psychologist. A psych D, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in, and you've been a school psychologist working with kids. You have kids of your own. There's so many aspects of your story. You're just a fascinating person. So I'm really excited to have you on. Um, so, uh, you know, I've had a lot of different people from different aspects of, of life. I've had, um, I've actually had some therapists on to talk about various things, you know, narcissism, faith crises, uh, porn addiction, things of that nature. Your psychology, school psychology, uh, you you did that for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and in 25 years, was there? Uh, did you were you like elementary school, high school? Where did both. you both? Oh, wow. did you notice? Uh, when when did you stop doing school psychology? A few years ago, like I retired from the Department of Education in New York City around 2018. Oh, wow. And, okay. And we move out here on 2020 during the pandemic. Oh, oh wow. And out here is where? Where are you? Los Angeles. At? Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. So, yeah, across the country. Um, yeah. Uh, in the time frame that you're working with kids, um, were there common themes of issues you were seeing with kids, particularly in this most recent generation? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I I found that um, the children would be better adjust when they have both devoted parents, whether intact or not. Mm. Oh, and when you say intact, meaning both both parents are involved, whether they are together or whether they're separated. Right. Even even if they separate and they're good friends and they they there every day for the children, mm. you know, then that would be fine. Yeah. That's interesting. And and when you, uh, here's a question I've had often because you hear so much. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm on the board of a local um, receiving home for children, particularly their, their shelter care for kids that would otherwise be in foster care. Um, and what I found so fascinating when I first started working with the receiving home was that uh, I asked them, uh, how many of these kids are coming from single parent homes? And he said, probably about 99%. And then I said, how many of them are the mother versus the father that's missing? And it was almost, almost over, I mean, almost the, almost a hundred percent were fatherless homes. Have you, did you notice a difference as a school psychologist? Uh, I I'm, I'm sure there was a difference between having, uh, you know, both parents involved versus one, but was there a significant difference if they were missing the mother versus if they're missing the father? Oh, it's depend on how devoted the parents is, but yeah, that's, that's somewhat of a different, but it's, it's all depend. I mean, it it's can be really sad. Sometimes I mm -hmm. see the, the missing mother and I, and, and with the father and, and somehow the father was able to 
manage to try get the, the kid to do what he wants, but he had to be very, very devoted and like working overtime. And the mother too. And mm. as long as they, as long as they don't like fight against each other, because sometimes when you have parents that are separate and they don't yeah. like each other and they would bad mouth about the other with the children. Yeah, that's rough. That's tough. I, I have a lot of friends um, who are divorced and, and um, you know, uh, I know of a lot of situations um, where the, um, where the, the co-parenting relationship has broken down and uh, it's, it's always tough, you know, the stories you hear, but you, you did that for, well, you, was it time to retire or was there some reason in particular that you left? Uh, it was like time. That. You can retire at a certain age, and I would just grab that and leave, because uh, it's it's not really the nature of the job, but the ridiculous politics of mm. the organization. Because a mm. lot of times they have mental illness, and you really cannot help them much. Mm. They said this mm -hmm. is a school. It is. It wasn't worth it, actually. You know, mm. but I had to be there that long. I mean, if it was up to me, I probably would have left a long time ago. Mm. Go for mm. another organization. Mm. So the politics that you're dealing with within the organization, was it a, a situation of just the bureaucracy or was it the difficulty in just not being able to have the resources to help the kids or both? Bureaucracy. Mm. Sometimes the resource, but bureaucracy. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and can you give me a sense of some of the stuff that you would run into? Like, for example, if you have a child who I seen and I evaluate and I send that your child will be hurting him, him or herself, hmm. and I will have to set up a situation that help the kid because I hmm. want to see the kid hurt. And I probably would have to turn around and tell you, and this is your first time seeking special ed, I probably would have to tell you that you have a lawyer. Hmm. You please go outside and get psychiatric evaluations. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And usually you ask for two and then two of them to rule out X, Y, Z. I said to rule out this and that. And usually both of them come back saying what I'm afraid of the most. Mm, man, that's tough. And then when they come back and they say something that you, when you say that what you're afraid of the most, you mean the particular diagnosis you're yeah. worried about? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then when you have a kid who's diagnosed with a specific mental illness, mm -hmm. um, what what is the process then i mean it, well, i have to apply for it and then of course administrators most of the time will fight me with it because they want to be a less restrictive environment it will cost that means less money for them because i'm mm -hmm. under certain you know certain line and, and then the school administrator would want you to get rid of the child as soon as possible they couldn't care less what you do with it just get rid of it and get rid of the, get rid of the kid you mean yeah, the kid. And the process is, is very long. You have to apply for it mm -hmm. and you have to see if you send it down to, to uh, the central board and let them make the decision. Mm. And then if they make a decision to remove the kid from the school, do they go to like a special education school or where do they go? They go for another school, uh, more like restricted of special education or residential. It depends on on the situation of the diagnosis. Yeah, that's another thing that I've noticed in in education. Um, if you if you've been in it for twenty five years, if you were in it for twenty five years up until two thousand twenty, 
you, 18, you 18. 18 uh, then uh, you started around the time when I was uh, I was coming out of high school and and yeah. the, the thing that's so funny is that I remember in 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 my time in elementary school uh, they had on campus special classes for kids with mental illness or Down syndrome or yeah. or um, you know various degrees of issues. But by the time I was in high school, it seemed like they were kind of getting away from that and mm -hmm. just kind of putting them in the in the mix with the rest of the kids. Uh, do you think just as you in your experience that that was a, a better way to handle it or a worse way to handle it? Or did you? It's, it's depend on the uh, the school where they at and, mm. and the staff, mm -hmm. because, you know, right now I'm working with a nonprofit organization that dealing with the adult disabled mm. develop, development disability down syndrome you know autistic and it's near it's near home uh-huh cool and what what exactly does the nonprofit do well they have a create a day program some people live there too but they create a day program and this is a and this is something that the I really like because I can do hand-on like teaching them to do activity dancing art and you know all kind of things. Oh, nice. So you volunteer over there? No, no. I it's a part-time jobs. Oh, cool. Okay, and uh, and so you're working with this nonprofit and and mm -hmm. teaching adults with disabilities how to do some of these artistic things. Yeah, like a day programs. That way they can have, they can enjoy themselves and have a lot of fun and feel like living is worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Now I mentioned. I also saw. You know, when when we were setting this up, um, I saw that you're also a professional dancer. Um, when did you start dancing? Well, not until late. I mean, I think I started as a teen and somewhat a little bit, somewhat in college a little bit. And then I started again at the, when I'm in my early 30s, I, and I studied with the Isadora Duncan International Institute. Uh -huh. It's movement for film and theater also. And we would travel to Europe and dance. Cool. And I would study belly dance. And sometimes I would perform with the group belly dance class in, around New York, but that's before the pandemic. Sure. So you're a professional belly dancer then. Well, I'm trained professionally. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's awesome. That's interesting. And, and what was that uh, when you when you went to the Institute for this type of stuff? Is this is that what you were hoping to get into or was that just something you were you were the best at? What? No, I just like it a lot. You like the, the belly dancing? Yeah, I love belly dancing. I love the costume. I love the, the movement. It's, it's very feminine and it's created by women for giving birth. And I, I just like it. It's for women in giving birth? Yeah, that's, a, that's how it was created. Yeah, tell me more about that. What is, so I, I, I don't, I, I got to tell you, I've seen belly dancers at like Mediterranean restaurants and at different places and stuff. But I don't know a single thing about belly dancing. What, what is it? Where did it come from? Where did it originate from? I think it's from somewhere in Africa. And it's a, a group of women that get together. They they would like to, they dance and they would like give the movement of giving birth to make it a lot easier for, for people to give birth in those days. Oh. This is a long time ago when they probably before epidural. Yeah. <laughs> <even> epidural. <laughs> right. So belly dancing started as a way to kind of make uh, pregnancy easy or the, the birthing process easier? 
I, I think so because they say this is the, the giving the movement of giving birth. So it, wow. must, it must be really easier because imagine in those days there's no no numbness, no epidural, and, and you have C-section and you have surgery without any uh, medication. Yeah. It's funny, my mom. So so my mom, I, I have a sister that's 21 years younger than me. Same parents, oh. everything. Oh. And, oh. and that's so great. yeah, it's it's an experience. It's funny. Um because uh yeah it's it's a really different experience being an adult with a sister that's a child she's now nine she's now almost 20 and uh in just watching her it was pretty cool for my parents too because my parents um my dad i've shared this on the podcast before my dad is is tw uh, over 25 years sober uh from drugs and alcohol so he had a really rough we me and my brother and my sister kind of had a my my sister i have a brother and a sister and then a very much younger sister me and my brother and my sister had a very different experience so when sammy came along my my youngest sister it was almost like a a, a second chance for my dad and so it's been cool to watch uh her have the parents that I like the dad that I kind of wished I'd always had. Uh -huh. Yeah. Cause my dad is a completely different person now than he was when I was growing up. So it's fun to watch that. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting to watch how she grows up and I see some things that she definitely has a benefit that I didn't have. And I see some mm -hmm. things that I benefited from kind of having some of that rough go that she didn't have, you know, and generationally it's different too. You know what? You're very fortunate because your father cared enough to take care of his situations. Yeah. And you know that I got to say, I, you know, I was actually talking with my mom about this recently and I brought up, you know, he, to his credit, even when he was, even when he was off the rails a little bit, no pun intended, uh, he, um, he always tried his, his best to provide, even when he wasn't around. So, but towards that's, the, nice. that's very responsible and that's very loving. You yeah. Know, your best and you still try very hard to provide. Yeah. And, and the thing was, is the last time when he finally went to rehab, um, and, and cleaned himself up, he, he never blamed anyone for it other than himself. And he just said, this is not a you issue. I remember my mom recently told me that she and he both went to a therapist and talked mm -hmm. about it. And when she went in, the therapist told her the first thing he said was he recognized that she had nothing to do with it. It was just him and that it was something that he needed to work through on his own. Mm -hmm. and, and he did. And he he did his best to make amends. And like I said, you know, it wasn't easy at the at the beginning because he just you could appreciate this as a psychologist, you know, when uh -huh. you start getting into those addictions, you are, or you have a mental illness or you have trauma uh, at a young age, you're kind of frozen emotionally. Yeah. At that age, you know, you actually, when I did blue blood is about gamble, gambling addiction. I was the mother of somebody who had a gambling addiction and he stole money from us. And, and I, I was only a co-star, but it was pretty, intense scenes so i end up writing an article on it about gambling addictions oh yeah well, i can send it to you if you like 
I would I would love to read it. I gambling addiction is really interesting. I actually just had a guy on uh Joshua Shea who who's a porn he was a, porn, a pornography addiction expert. Mm. And he called he talked about the difference between I think he called the ones physical addictions versus process addictions. I can't remember what he called the one, but process addictions like gambling, porn, food. He was talking about the differences in that and it's really fascinating. Like when you have a process addiction like that, you you're it's not just the art. Uh, it's not like when you're doing cocaine where you're just looking to get high. It's the entire process of mm -hmm. going to the there, doing the bet, winning. It's not just about the winning. It's the whole process that you get into. So it's really interesting. Um, but anyway, it's not about me. This is about it you. Is, it is. It is very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So so tell me. Now you said you were on Blue Bloods, and that's what I wanted to ask you. You know, what had you always been? involved in uh acting no no okay when did you I wanted start? to but but I, I couldn't because when i just came over here my language skill was not you know i wasn't comfortable with it it was very limited mm -hmm. and you know i i'm learning disabled so i have processing difficulties and oh. it's very very difficult for me to accomplish anything you know i have to work really harder and longer and put in a, a lot of time compared to other people but, but nobody yeah. knows that because I, I try to keep it quiet you know, about it. Yeah. So after, real quick, what what it uh, what learning disability do you have? I can't process well. Oh, okay. You know, I'm okay. slow. <laughs> when you say process, you mean like reading process, or you mean Re like reading language? So I have to do things over and over again in order to absorb it. Oh, so for for acting, there's a lot of memorization involved, right? Yes, but for acting, it's okay because you have to you have to memorize. You have to do it over and over again. Oh, oh, oh! I see. So when you when you memorize, it actually helps you. It's better for you. Yes, yes. I because I think one time we almost got into this play, but it got got canceled. But I think the director told me, "What did you do? Memorize it the first day or something?" But yeah. I was memorizing it because it's better for me that way. So, but anyway, it it turned out to be for the best. Because you know how. Sometimes when you have a, a, one disability, it could be a gift on, on the others. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you mentioned coming over. Where did you come from? I'm Vietnamese. I left Vietnam oh, almost 48 years ago, on April 28, 1975, wow. without my late father. He, he died over there afterward. And, and what, what was it that um, prompted you to come over? Did it have anything to do with the war? Or Yeah, yeah. My, I was a child. My family, well, my father was a law professor, but he got involved in politics and he was with the very, very last government that surrendered to the Northern Vietnam. He was the minister of defense then. And so he went to concentration camp and when he got out, he couldn't come over here and he died in 88. Wow. Your dad was the Ministry of Defense of the last government in Southern Vietnam? Yeah. Wow. Well, he was like, so this, this was not on your bio. <laughs> so, well, I, don't, I don't want to discuss about anyone else's. I mean, he was a minister of education when I was little, too. Yeah. Okay. But, wow. know, I, I, I don't like that. I, I wasn't impressed with politics. and. Yeah. But but how old were you when you came over then? Were you, you must have been a young child. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. So, I was almost 12. Oh, wow. Okay. So. So tell me, I mean, I have a 12-year-old daughter, and I, I can't imagine taking her away 
from everything that she knows. Without you, the best is without you. You know what I mean? Did you come with your mother? Or who yes, she was pregnant at the time and okay. some relatives. I mean, his relative and my relatives some of my mother's side, but his relative, they, they, they all come over here. Wow. So you come over, uh, and, and where do you end up when you get here? No, no, it wasn't New York. We were in, uh, in the refugee camp in Arkansas, and then we got sponsored by one of my mother's sister was going to school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she found a church to sponsor us. We didn't go with my father's side because that time one of my cousins who taught at Stanford University, he was dying of cancer. Mm. So that oh, was wow. very, very sad. So we we went there and then after a couple of years, my mother wanted to move to Brookline, Massachusetts because her sister and her brother-in-law bought a house there. So we kind of bought a family house together, you know, upstairs, downstairs, whatever. Yeah. Stay there until after college and and I moved to, to New York for grad school, but the truth is that's like an excuse for me to be near the theater, the performing arts, but, yeah. and I have to be practical. So I studied business. Yeah. Well, we studied some kind of business. Actually, that was a mistake, but you know. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because one of, I, I asked, I told people you were coming on and one of the questions that came through was you have an MBA and you're in, you're in the arts. Do you see, uh, you know, do you think that your MBA helped you on, on the business aspect so far? Of, oh, yes. Yeah. Because what is it that you see? I mean, if, if someone wanted to get into acting, what are some of the business aspects of, of the uh, entertainment industry that you think people need to watch out for? Well, there's a lot of things. Like one of my wonderful teachers said that, He's not going to lie to us. You need money to be in this business. That means you should have your a job that, that make money. And when you present yourself, like when you need headshot, when you need acting class, when you need cl video clip, sample clip, whatever it is, you have to be able to produce them. Mm. And you mm. have to take a lot of classes. I took classes for over 15 years up and on. Wow. And I, have, I have coaches too. Wow. So then it sounds to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you come over here and you always kind of had a, a flair for the arts. Mm -hmm. Fair. Mm -hmm. And then from, uh, but you, and you took some classes, but it was kind of later on in life when you got into college that you started pursuing your passion for that. Yeah. I mean, when my daughter was six years old, when I was working as a school psychologist mm -hmm. and I have my daughter and I was dancing and performing and, and I say, I think that I think I'm comfortable with the language oh. enough to study acting. Oh, okay. Wow. So this is a quite a bit later than you know, you because you hear yeah. about people starting out as child actors. No, no, not me. I was middle age. Yeah, okay. I am hopefully still in middle age. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I'm 42 years old and I used to I used to be afraid of middle age, the the term. You're a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, I, I feel like a baby, but that's funny because I looked at, I'm an attorney by trade. And so uh, I looked at the actuary tables uh, lifespan for a recent case. And I saw someone my age, the lifespan is 84. So I am officially middle age. <laughs> so like, I can't, I can't deny it anymore. And so, um, and, but don't worry. My daughters remind me all the time they say, they tell me about the gray in my beard. So I, I know, but, um, but 
tell me what you think is the difference. Do you think it helped you to start later? Um, well, everybody has a different story. Everybody yeah. But my, for me, yes, because I, I really couldn't. I need to learn the language skill. I wanted to have a family. You know, I want to accomplish most of my education because when I was studying acting, I was also later on, I was going for my doctorate too. Yeah. I did wow. my thesis based on one of the plays I was in. Which play? Flowers, a thorny romance. It's about mm. domestic violence. Oh, really? Yeah, well, that's what's so interesting. You know, like from what I've, you, what you've talked to me about so far, it seems like you have a lot of roles that have to do with some sort of trauma. I mean, you, so you're in the Blue Bloods on gam. You're you're seen as in gambling addiction. You did a play. Well, my son is. I'm not. I'm I'm the victim of somebody who's a gambling addiction. Right. Right. You're you're a victim of that. Then you're in um, you you're in that play that's on domestic violence. And then your your recent uh, film that you were involved in, The Accidental Getaway Driver, has to do with someone, a true story about someone who was kidnapped. Um, is there, do you find yourself kind of always being in these roles where you're dealing with, with uh, some sort of trauma? No, actually, no. It depends. Okay. Yeah. I think do the you, play, I was in a play over the summer. That's what somewhat the, trauma but i play a spirit somebody who already passed over but no one know that oh really and yes and and the trauma was to, they were harassed by the kuka clan and the funny thing is we they won best writing you know the play won, huh. won best writing and the writer claimed that you know i was surprised she's half filipino and half a um, mexican she said i was surprised i mean i don't understand why that the Kuka clan doesn't like the Vietnamese, but then again, who do they like? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. That's a, that's a, um, I want to go back then. Tell me about, did you, you know, on that vein, uh, coming over here after the Vietnam war, how were you received? Oh God, not, not very well. Yeah. But you know, that's because uh, that's because naive, you know, naivete. You, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they don't know any better. But I, I work on it, and and I I'm still friends with some people that I just met when I came over here. Yeah. No, that's great. But I, I think the reason I bring it up is because we we still have situations where refugees are coming over right now from yeah. various parts of the, of the world. Um, tell me a little bit more about the experience of being a refugee tell me tell me what you if you're comfortable talking about it what well, what's that like it's, it's difficult because you don't know the language and you always feels like you're an outcast of everything but then again you know people there are people who tend to treat us like that in a job situation so yeah you mean in a job situation they treat you like an outcast because you don't know the language or because you're a refugee or because I'm an immigrant. Oh, I see. It, it does happen. And then, oh, they don't like the fact that you have credential. So mm -hmm. it, it's kind of ridiculous. Because I met uh, a lady. She was, uh, I think, a clerical data entry. And then she got a master degree in social work. And she's from mm -hmm. another country. And then she, yeah. said, I don't, she said, I don't understand the, these American people. You know, they, they get jealous of you when you get your graduate degree. When they could have easily gone for it. 
And another lady told me that she she from the Caribbean. She's lovely. She's a counselor. Mm. She said, she said, they I was told that you're so lucky. You're an immigrant and you got this job. And she said, You couldn't have gotten it too if you if you went to school. They right. would have hired you before they hire me, which is <laughs> right. true. That is true. You know, and that's interesting. You 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 know, um it's it's interesting when you put it that way because the narrative on the side of the what I'd call a, a person who's anti-immigrant is that well you know they're coming over here and they're taking jobs away from us right yes. <laughs> like what you're saying is kind of true it's it's not like you didn't have to work for that job you came over here not knowing a language no money coming from a war-torn country and then and the next thing you know you're working and getting a degree and this person could have easily had had much lived here, knew the language, no, you know, had resources. There's all sorts of resources from FAFSA, Pell Grants, all sorts of different things that can be used if you're low income and could have gotten well, that. You get scholarship. I, I got scholarship on the last one too, too you know. Yeah, right. And could get scholarships. But somehow you coming over here, you're the reason they don't have the job not their lack of ingenuity. And I find that really interesting considering that they're also the crowd that tends to be the pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of crowd too. But they don't pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Someone else came over and took it. Not all, but I'm just saying generally, I find that kind of fascinating. But you so, know what? The thing, but the thing is like, I think that as I get older, I have more respect for the one who openly discriminate against me than the clueless one. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, yes. People who are clueless, they can be really dangerous. They could be your professor. They could be your mentor. And sure. they, they complain that, you know, complain about people who are discriminating this and that. And they are so clueless with their own discrimination. That is so true. I actually, I had somebody on um, uh, not too long ago in a podcast who was a, a Donald Trump supporter. And we had a long conversation about racism. And he, I don't believe he was racist in any way. The guy who came on but we had a conversation about people who it's really fascinating when people could say the most vile racist things and don't think that they're being racist <laughs> you know what you i mean know what? He, he's no more racist than anyone else's sure i work for the city and the city's supposed to be liberal and guess what they're far from it mm. they're very very, very backward mm. you're saying the the city of new york mm-hmm well, I'm yeah. sure they have it in, in Los Angeles too. Yeah. Um, so you're you going back to your work in, in theater and things like that. You said you went you went to New York for grad school, and you said secretly you kind of did that because you they make you closer to the theater. Do you and, and I noticed also when I talked to other actors that the actors uh there are some people who love film, love TV, love theater. Do you have a preference? No, I love all. Mm -hmm. But you know, theater is, is difficult. I did a play last summer in Santa Ana, and it's only like a weekend play. And it's, it's really difficult because you have to put in a lot of time to rehearse for it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you perform it and you did a great job. Yes. But and then it's gone. Mm. Yeah. It, it, tell me. I, I, I took acting classes in college, mm. 
but I never, I've never really performed. Well, I take that back. I, I'm going to, I'm, this is a first for the other podcast. I'm going to disclose something about myself. I played the big bad wolf in a, in a, of the three little pigs in a children's theater class. Oh, I wow. Gotta, I gotta tell Any you, of your children saw it? Any of the kids? My youngest, my, my oldest son was, I think, four, three. Mm. Well, that would mean my oldest daughter would have been would have been born. I think she was just a baby, baby. Uh, I think he remembers it, um, but yeah, it was. I killed it. I got. I'm not gonna lie. I killed it. I was a great big bad wolf. I gotta say, you know. But um, but as far but as far as um, the the process of the reason I, I bring that up is that I don't know anything about the process of preparing to be in a movie so like for the accidental getaway driver oh. walk me through the process of getting okay, ready. this is really interesting this is very interesting uh -huh. blue blood came out that friday night and i was in san francisco with my cousin we you know we celebrating my debut in blue blood and she and michelle was really kind she she had you know all kind of champagne cake pastry mm -hmm. because the next day I have to shoot for Dawn of Skay. Dawn of Skay is, is coming out in the premiere at the barn next month, but we'll talk about later. So the next day I have an, another movie to shoot. And the next day after I shoot that movie, I went home to the hotel. I opened up my email on my uh, cell phone mm -hmm. and they said like, uh, they want you to send this in as soon as possible. And it was like around eight or nine o'clock. I called New York and I asked my, I asked my coach, see my, my my coach, she she was married to Paul Mann, who used to train people like Sydney Potier. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Lenore was hasn't gone to sleep yet, and she said she, she could never say no to me. And <laughs> we rehearsed. I said I just got it. I need to get it in, and I just don't have time to study it. So mm. we spent two hours and we recorded. It was hard mm -hmm. because I have to do it in you know two languages and things like that. Oh, you had to you had to do it in English and in Vietnamese. Right, they 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 want to they want somebody who's bilingual, my age, immigrant accent, bilingual, and real actors, and so that's what I did, and and I sent it in right away that night when I finish, I finish it, I just sent it into my agent, and then six months later, in between they said they they like me a lot, but you know leave the day, and they're going to call you for a callback. So I got a callback. And they said the reason the callback was so long because they need to request funding for the film. Mm. And they got funding. So I have to do the audition over again with a, a casting director. He's lovely. Just like you and I now. Uh -huh. And in two languages. It, it was not easy because the auditions was more strenuous than the shooting itself. <laughs> okay. Man. And is that typical for, because I mean, the, the movies that go to the Sundance Film Festival, for those who may not know, you know, these movies are not your Marvel movies that are going out on, you know, going out of big budget things. These are like, these are like really artsy indie films. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. um, so that's interesting that the process was so strenuous to get into the movie when you're, but when you're filming the movie, um, I got to imagine, you know, you're filming a scene on a certain day, so you just get your lines ready for that scene. Yeah, but it's but it's yeah. not shot in sequence, right? 
well, I only have a, a small, like two scenes. Mm. Mm -hmm. And and what happened was it shoot overnight. I was at the garage mm -hmm. and somebody, somebody arrived and said that, do you know so-and-so? Are you his sister? And they mm -hmm. cut it. They cut that. And well, actually they cut a lot. And <laughs> we end up in my kitchen, in my home. I was cleaning up his face. Mm. And uh, I, I really appreciate that because the hairdresser and the makeup artist made me look really good. Not nothing like this, you know. I, I actually <laughs> look good. But <laughs> so this, is just, I don't have a face on. This is me. <laughs> well, hey, you look great tonight too. So this is this is good. I, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So anyway, that I was cleaning his face, and then there's a scene at the dining dining room. I was talking this time in Vietnamese, and then cut. You know, he he has to. They, they cut it. He has to uh, talk to somebody else again. So it's it's like a two short scene. Mm -hmm. But uh, but how, so how many days of shooting were those two scenes? It's it's overnight. So it's like a a day over something oh, okay. less than overnight. Yeah. And um, same when, same thing with Blue Blood. Okay. So now tell me in Blue Blood. Um, you're you're dealing with a gambling addiction. You have a couple of you have a couple of scenes in that as well, right? But I don't speak English, mm. so I I was fighting with my husband, and even though the the lead the leading man and lady was in front of me, you know, I I didn't speak English to them. I I was fighting with the guy who my, and I became friend with him. You know, the actor being home, uh -huh. he 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 played with my husband. And the funny thing is, I said I'm going to do Dawn of Skate, and I need a picture of me with an Asian man. So could you mind? stand in the picture of us and you you're going to be playing that beat that on that movie <laughs> <laughs> nice. and he, said, okay. <laughs> he agreed to it he's such a good sport yeah no that's awesome now do you find that in, in your projects uh when you make friends do you hang on to them and does that lead to more work later on down the road oh i i don't know but i hang on to them because i like them yeah yeah and, and, and are most of are, are most of the um are most of the roles you play specific to being bilingual and Vietnamese, or there are some that you've gotten where you just now some of them is just in plain English. Like actually, there's another film that coming out. Dawn of Skate is in Vietnamese and English mm -hmm. subtitled, and there's another one. It's a it's called Dancing in a Forbidden Wall. It's a short one, twenty minutes, because she wanted to raise um raise her funding to. To turn it into a series or something, I, I speak English. I play Madame Wu, mm. and 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 that was nice. And another one got anxious. She doesn't want me to talk about that or post any picture yet. But I, I have many scenes, but one scene with lines, which is like a, a fighting scene with my, my neighbor, mm. and the, the other scene is just like you know without without line in her fantasy. Mm. So how long have you been acting? I, you know, actually full-time is only a couple of, couple of years, several years uh, when I try on the 2019 full-time, but I've been studying for a long time. And I was mm -hmm. in a the theater in, in New York, Love Creek Productions. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's also part-time for people who work during the daytime and I should do little thing here and there, but I should become an actress full-time when I retire from Department of Education. Yeah, so the your story, as far as theater goes and as far as film goes, where does it start? I mean, when did when did uh, you actually first start 
acting? Uh, I take classes and then I went on for audition for theater because it's harder for me to to do film. Yeah. Because so I you, started, you started in the theater, right? I started in the theater. Uh huh. And when, what year was that that you started? Oh, um, not sure. Is it like around oh, 08, 09? Okay. The first time I was in the theater. Wow. And sparingly. And and then, yeah, then theater is like here and there. Yeah. And then uh, over time, as you get to about, you know, after 10 years of part-time theater, you decided I'm going to go ahead and start. No, I, I do some some film. I, you know, I think like we create one film once that, that you know, we created when, when we have time off. And, and I did some commercial I forgot with who, but mm -hmm. when I have time off, and I, I did, do, I did do some, some, some film, and one of the thing. Let's see, one of the film did until a couple years later, and you know, I completely forget the name. I play an immigrant. Uh -huh. Don't don't speak much English in the grocery store. Uh -huh. Shoot in Philadelphia over the spring break. Uh -huh. So so that was fun. So so I did do some little film here. And there, and I did um, some student film that a lot of them didn't come out. Ah, uh, uh huh. And but, but that was, you know, that's really. I did a lot of student film 2019, and guess what? The best one was out here. Huh. I flew out here in the fall of 2019 for University of Southern California. I did a short film, five minutes only. I played a grandmother lead, mm -hmm. and the following year was the pandemic, but. It went to three different films festival. Oh wow, nice! And is there a um, a project that you have done that you would say was kind of your? Because I mean, you're doing you're doing a lot now. I mean, you've been in a Sundance film, you know, a, a claim a, a critically acclaimed movie that's gone to Sundance. You were on Blue Blood. You've done. Um, you know, you you've got this other one coming out, the the Dawn of Sky. Is that what's called? Sky, Dawn, of Dawn of Sky, like like roller skate. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. Gonna come out in May, and then a couple more are going to come out. And then what was actually one of the film we did that never came out, and that was a big disappointment because we worked so hard on it. I auditioned three times for it. It's called My Vietnam, and somehow it, it just didn't work. Hmm. Does that happen often? Where you you go in and you film a movie, and they just leave it on the on the cutting floor or on what? students on students film yes but not this this is a feature film and yeah. a lot of us was in it and hopefully someday they fix it but i i'm not holding my breath i'm disappointed uh -huh. i'm not holding my breath wow I'm looking for other projects you know now because a couple of weeks ago i shoot another series an indie series about you know asian american it probably would come out on youtube and this weekend i'm shooting something for for usc Oh, you are another yeah. student film. Not a student film because they—they're very professional. The last time is it when, when was it? Is it like last year or the year before? I shoot a film for them. Must be the year before. Must be the year before, and it came out beautifully. I went, I saw it, and and people even recognized me when I stand in the hallway. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So, um, as far as if you were, if there was someone who was let's say someone in their middle age, you know, middle age time, uh, or even, you know, we'd say late twenties, early thirties. And they're thinking, ah, you know, my time has passed to do this stuff. No. Uh, what would be your, 
your recommendation on how someone would get started? I said, your time is never passed. Look at, look at another lady. She was in accidental getaway driver with me, the great actress, Gabby Chan. She said she studied for 15 years. She's like uh, around my age. I'm like a year, one year older the most. Mm -hmm. And she, she was a computer engineer. And, and you know, she's, so she started to, to want to become an actress. And she spent 15 years studying for it. And, and now she's doing it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Because you should have your own job, your, your own job first, you know, and mm -hmm. unless you're the easiest way people said it with a trust fund. <laughs> right. There's yeah. not a lot of those going around these days. So, <laughs> but, but where does someone, when you say take classes, is there a specific place that you took classes or? Yes. Yeah. Where, where would you recommend? I was in New York, I, but, but, you know, you can take classes here too. Uh-huh. There's and, a place to take classes here. There's plenty, many places to take classes here, but I was in New York. I, I took class at, um, boy, I, I can't believe I forgot the, the name of it. The, the actors, the actors connections took a lot of classes there. And okay. I took classes, workshop here and there when people advertised for it. And, and I took class at HB studio from the beginning. And, you know, I have private coaching and performing arts studio that I took a, a week here it, mm. in LA, I, I would say taking take class at the performing arts studio. Wow. Um, as someone who enjoys uh, acting, do you have a specific genre of films that you like to watch? Oh, I have to watch everything. I can't discriminate because I need to learn. Uh -huh. What would but you say? What would you say is your favorite movie? Oh, really want to know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, American one is Don't Bother to Knock. Marilyn Monroe, when she was 24 years old, playing a mentally ill babysitter. That film is so underrated, and she was so remarkable. Don't Bother to Knock. Don't and another bother. one, foreign film, like Story of Adele Edge, Adele Hugo's daughter. Hmm. I mean, Victor Hugo's daughter. Isabel okay. Adjani is in it. Uh, she suffered from schizophrenic. Oh. Erotomania. Foreign film was it in a different language? A French, but but you know the subtitle. Yeah. And I also like old film, like I like film noir. I, I love black and white film. Oh, okay. But yeah. When, but I, you know, when I was studying, when I was a school psychologist, young age, I just started for a couple of years and only dancing. I would take dance class, and on a weekend, I would watch film that based on mental illness. Like hmm. sometimes, Captain mm -hmm. Deneuve would uh, would be in some of those. Well, I'm sorry. Say that. What was that last Catherine part? The, North, the French actress, Belle du Jour or something. I would, uh -huh. like that the kind of movie. But I would make sure that I would see at least two movies a week, and mostly on mental illness or some emotional conflicts. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's so, like uh, major movie, but we don't talk about you know TV shows. That's another story. But I have to. Yeah. Watch a lot of those stuff. Yeah. And I was you know working and go to school full time at the same time. Uh huh. Yeah, it's funny. Have you uh, have you ever? I actually had a director and a animator on uh, Stephen Kyoto. Mm -hmm. I had him on a, about a month or two ago. He did the movie, directed the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a it's a kind of a, a horror film uh, from the eighties. Um, no, I'm I'm afraid of horror films. <laughs> oh, you're afraid? Well, this is this is one. This is, not, this, is not your, this is not your typical. 
this is not your typical horror film. You're, so what you're saying, Tiffany Rothman, is you are not a fan of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. No, oh, but yeah, but yeah, no. It's it's more of a it's more of a funny horror movie. It's oh, okay. Kind of a cheesy, cheesy movie that just makes you laugh. But okay. anyway, so this is the pitch here that Tiffany Rothman gets cast in. In uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space Part Two, we're looking for that. Also, Lost <laughs> a Pastor Two. That's another one that you got to see if you're into. Did in you want to hear something funny too? When yeah. my friend Derek Nguyen, direct the housemate in New York, it was in the window, and I was sitting diagonally behind him. Uh -huh. It's a scary movie, horror movie. I was uh -huh. cursing him out under my breath the whole time, <laughs> and I told him, "Oh, that's good. I mean, you like it." I said, "I was so scared." Yeah, you know, it, it takes a specific type of a specific type of people really like that. You know, I have some friends who are really hardcore into some horror oh, films. Oh boy, that one was, and and those ones, I'm into the ones that are just really silly. And uh, anyway, that that's uh, that's a that's a different topic. But um, so I want to talk with you a little bit about, you know, your experience. You know, you're you're an Asian American. You know, you came over from Vietnam. Uh, do you feel like at times that you, I mean, I know you've been doing this full time just for a few years, but do you feel as an Asian American that you are typecast at times? I would have to say yes, but that can be favorable also. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. they would cast me as an Asian mom, tiger mom. Mm -hmm. that, that's how it is to typecast. That's how it is with you know, with this business. Maybe that's the way you get in, you know, you get mm -hmm. your start, but is there a type of movie specifically that you would like to see yourself in at some point? I, I like to be in a series. I like to be in a comedy, like playing like a real nosy neighbor, you know, something, you know, <laughs> you know, remember, remember that show Bewitched? Maybe you were too young, Bewitched. Oh, I remember Bewitched. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, Glad is this this nosy neighbor. She would like peek up on, on the window and if she see wild things, she'd start screaming. Or yeah. she would come in and say, Oh, I want a cup of sugar or something like that. And then she would look peek around the house. Yeah, yeah. She, she was uh, the second one. She was really no the first one too. She was really good act actress. She was in on the town with Sinatra mm. and then but and then I think she died. Mm. She passed yeah. and I to have somebody else's. So but if I, you if if you could pick any role that like any role for you like your dream casting mm -hmm. what would it be i would say that there's you know, some comedy role nosy neighbor or a servant playing a servant you, you know how servant they, they also really nosy like a semi spy or something in the gossip yeah. that, yeah. that would be funny in a comedy yeah wow but um so you think it sounds like what you think is, yeah, you're you're being typecast, particularly in these ones where you need someone who's bilingual or someone who's Vietnamese, you know, an Asian, uh, these Asian specific roles, which could be your benefit. But um, at some point, do you hope that you branch out into other roles? That would be nice. But, you know, I will accept role as they come. Like now I'm doing a, a talk show podcast and YouTube. Yeah. Number sign field the 90211 every Sunday. I love yeah. it. And and what is the you mentioned yeah you, your talk show. So tell me what is your talk show about? Is there various topics or one in particular? Mm -hmm. Various topics uh, 
but it's about one thing it's growth the journey of growth mm. what inspired you to do that well i auditioned for it and surprisingly got in oh so this wasn't a project you started no 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 um john anton started it he's a producer oh okay and then you're you're the one who does the the, the interviewing on this yeah. Yes, and my co-host, and my, my co-host Chris Sloan, he, he's really great. He's very intelligent, very funny. So he really balanced the show out. He balanced it out well. Yeah, and uh, and you, it's it's specifically about growth. You're talking about just growth in life, or mm -hmm. anything, growth yeah. in life, like you know, like how do you, how do you develop this project, and you know what you do is just like on, on anything. Sure, sure. And well, it's <laughs> just like this. Yeah. And uh, when you talk about growth, um, I mean, it's a very interesting life that you've led coming over from a war torn Vietnam with a father who was the ministry of uh, in the in the uh, the secretary of education over minister at, of education and minister of defense. Yeah. And and you come over here at the age of 12, not knowing the language and you grow into a master's in business and a psych D in psychology, and then parlay that into an acting career. Tell me, tell me about just kind of the growth that you've experienced in your own life. Well, with me, it's different. I don't have a choice. Ah, that I'll tell you what I got to tell you, Miss Rothman, or do I call you Doctor Rothman? What you, call me Tiffany? Okay, well I'll tell you, Tiffany. That is a huge, uh, my experience has been the, the have to life versus the want to life. Uh, that is a huge indicator of success, you know? Well, if it's up to me, I might not want to be anything. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> Who knows, you know? If I have such a comfortable life, why would I want to be anything? <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, that is something I'll tell you, you know, I, I talk with my... I talk with my son, he's 16, and he's at that area where he's starting to figure out what he wants to do. And my life, the way my life looked at 16 versus the way his life looks at 16 is much different. You know, uh, I, I grew up, like I said, my dad was just on the edge of cleaning up, you know, getting sober. Not a lot of funds, not a lot of, you know, there was neither one of my parents graduated from college, you know, um, they're hardworking people, but money was always tight. You know, they, they, uh, um, and, uh, supportive and loving. My mother is the most supportive person on the face of the planet. But like I said, it was just, I knew as far as finances and things of that nature, as far as getting an education and doing things I was on my own and, and there was no safety net, you know? And, uh, my son, on the other hand, like his dad is a lawyer, you know, his dad is, you know, he, he hasn't had those same experience. Not that he hasn't had hardship. He certainly has, but, but it's, uh, but, but it's a different life. And I, and I just know that there were definitely times in my, you know, in my education and in my life where I absolutely wanted to quit and I couldn't. Because there, if I quit, it, there there was nowhere to go, <laughs> you know. And well, I that's how I feel when I was a school psychologist at the 
Department of Education, nowhere to go. And plus, you know, I got a job. I managed to get a job at close to my daughter's school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. up to until eighth grade. So that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what's that's what's so interesting, right? Is that like you can't reach that extra gear, you know, that you need to to be successful. Uh, it's hard to get that when you don't have to. You know what I mean? Like you said, like if I didn't have to do it, I might not do anything. Right. And, and I feel the same way. Like, I, I don't know if I would have gone worked full time and gone to law school full time if I didn't have to do it. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so, so tell me, did you, I mean, the education part, uh, was that instilled in you by parents? Was that something you did on your own? The educational part, that's what I brought up with everybody who, you know, live around me, you know, within my family, they all values higher education. Yeah. yeah. So, but to me, the way I look at it, if you don't have it, you couldn't get a job. Mm. So what mm. are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. You lost everything already. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, um, well, well, tell me, uh, going back to the, the acting, um, mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I've heard a little bit from other actors about gender bias in the entertainment industry. And I'm guessing you've probably experienced a little bit of that. Oh, yes. You see that they always um, prefer the, the men to do X, Y, Z more, you know, in the film. You, you know, you will see like more men. They would have larger role, more lines, X, Y, Z. Mm. It does happen. Mm-hmm. And in some of these um, films that you're doing where it's based on kind of a, for lack of a better term, the Asian cultural films, like, uh, do you think that that's necessary because of just Asian culture in general? Or do you think no, it's... No, but, but but you know what? Now come to think of it, you know, to go back to my mind. I wrote a play that I never produced or showed to anyone many years ago. And mm-hmm. the people, the main character in there, and the majority of them are men too, because mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe this is true and it might be sexist, but the men are the ones that create more problems. They're more colorful <laughs> in society than women. That's that's actually you're not far off there, Tiffany. That's that is true. It's it's actually interesting. Um, and I would tell you also the thing that's interesting about that, and I've noticed this in my own life, is that because men tend to be the ones that create the problems the most when it's not the men who are creating the problems people have a really hard time believing that you know it, it's interesting it's almost like a hard time to accept the woman they don't accept the women do it uh, creating right, the problems. right right and i've noticed that in my own life you know uh there have been times where um I've had experiences where because uh, because there are men involved, uh, they think that the men are the problems when it turns out that's not true. And people have a really hard time believing that, you know, but I can understand why, because if you're looking at it, in fact, I talked a little bit of this with um, I had a, a, a therapist on uh, who deals specifically with narcissism. And and he says, he goes, yes, most, most narcissists are men overwhelmingly. Right. Which makes it incredibly hard when you have a narcissistic woman 
because they're so good at projection, it makes the man, sometimes it can make the man look like the narcissist when it's not. But how do you tell, you know? And so it's really interesting. Um, well, <laughs> my supervisor, my first supervisor, you know, school psychology, she said, she, um, her doctor is not in, is an administrator supervising school psychologists. She said that women are just as bad as bad as men. I say, <laughs> yes, but you don't you don't see it. <laughs> you don't yeah. see it that much. Yeah. And and the thing is, like when when you um, have the problem, like uh, the one in in the movie of Adele Edge, erotomania. Usually, they say it's, it's the woman suffer from it, and they and she can create a lot of problem. But when a man suffer from it, it's not erotomania. They get violent. They become criminal. Yeah. Because when you hear things, oh, women suffer for it. And, and then when you do that kind of case study or research, you would hear the man say, how come nobody suffer from erotomania for me? I want to understand that. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also, you know, talking, and this is just generally right. It's not, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about any one specific situation necessarily generally, but, but I, I've noticed that too, you know, Men, when they are like that, uh, they are so overt. It's easy to see. You know what I mean? Because they're so overt. They're aggressive. It's what you would expect. Yeah. Yes. Like, like think back of my play. I didn't write it on purpose. I just, I just met these people through my, most, most of them through my husband. And I, mm -hmm. I think I told him that before we were married, I said, the only time I ever want to leave you was the people that you introduced me to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I wrote a play about them, and it's mostly overwhelmingly men are the majority of it. I mean, I try to put make my character in it, but I loosely model my my look after one of my girlfriend from high school because she's very pretty, uh -huh. and and the, it was small, and then the crazy woman her role was small, and then other woman that you know I couldn't really give them bigger role. Now come to think of it, I still have to play, but the men forget it. They were like. Ooh, overwhelmingly, they would say, the thing they say, the thing they do, and their characteristic is like yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is that you'll, it's easy sometimes to spot the men in these types of situations because they're so overt. You know, <laughs> you, you hear the stories and it, and it makes sense. But sometimes, you know, when you, you, it's, it's surprising to hear that on the other end. But anyhow, that might be my own drama speaking. But, but, uh, you know but, what? A lot of people, my my former optometrist, he he said that too because when he and his wife adopt twin boys, hmm. he said, "Oh, my wife would do anything for for them." And I said something like, "That's great." So when they grow up, they wouldn't be like any other men. And <laughs> he laughed, but guess what? He's more serious than I am. He was like this. Absolutely, you're so right. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. There's a reason why I I I believe this. There's a reason why men are so protective of their daughters and it's because they know how most men are they project their image. they project what they are like and what like me you know i played basketball in high school i wrestled i did all these mm -hmm. things i was around a lot of those jocks and all those guys and i and the way they i was I, the way that people talked about women and things, I was like, oh, man. I, When my first daughter was born, I was like, man, I am in so much trouble. You know, it just was like, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Because the boys, I can handle. And, and it's interesting, too, when you have boys and girls. It's so funny because I can handle the boys stuff. I can handle the, like, bodily functions and the smells and the breaking things and all of that i can handle all of that but see it's they're lucky they have you because now i remember when i was a school psychologist 
I have to give more prep talk and longer meeting with the boys. Because yeah. I said, please be careful because, you know, if something happened, then what? You end up in jail. I would say, please be careful. Just don't go with any women, especially when they are intoxicated. Please don't do anything. It's just like I have to say all kinds of things for, for men, much more than the girls. Oh, and that's that's tough. You know, that's a tough that's a tough go because, yeah, like I've I have this this conversation with my son all the time. And it's like I, the only thing I can tell him is there's a few things that I know I've told him in the past. And one of them is just you don't ever want to put yourself in a, in a position for anyone to suggest anything that you did. You know, uh, you never want to be in a spot where, you know, anyone could even think that you had done something aggressive or untoward to a female, you know, you see, you can speak to him that way. These men that don't, they don't really have voice. And I said, look, I have to give example online. I said, look at the TV show. So-and-so and look what happened to these two boys who already got scholarship to college, went out on a party and this girl, she got drunk. She grabbed both of them. She initiated into mm. the bathroom. And of course she made it with both of them. And when she's sober, she called it rape. Mm. They, lost it. they went to jail, they lost their scholarship. And when they investigated, it's something like say like, if that was rape, how come her clothes were not on the floor? Their clothes were. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know what story that is, but that's, yeah, it's scary. You know, it's, it's scary because, uh, and also not only that, and, you know, I've, I've had this conversation with my son being, I'm a, I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, Mormon church. And so we don't, Oh, great. You know, we don't, we don't, we tend to not drink or do drugs or any of that. And so nice. religiously, my son understands that that's, that's kind of a no, no, but I've, I've tried to talk about practical reasons. And I, and as one of them, I was like, man, I, I couldn't tell you how many times when I was in high school, because, you know, I, like I said, I played on the basketball team and, and mm -hmm. I've been around a lot of wrestlers and stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I never really partook in any of those things, but they partied and did that stuff. And, and it's, it's, uh, I was like, I couldn't tell you how many times somebody got drunk and did something that they didn't, that they oh. wish they hadn't done, you know, and and it just takes one bad night to change your whole life, you know? And Yes. So the, the, the thing is like with the female, like you say, you know, with, with the female, when it's, um, when they're not intoxicated, they, they do bad thing, but it's not as bad as what the boys could have done. Oh, and, the, and yeah. And I don't even think that that is gender specific. You know, I think that anybody who, when they do that stuff and, and this is not me pitching for, you know, you know, for people to be sober all the time because i know some people they like to drink you know and, and mm -hmm. that more power to them if they can control it but yeah, nothing like, wrong with drinking as long as you can control it right right but i just uh you know i i know and this is specific for me like the addiction gene runs through my family so it's just like one of those things where i was like i don't even want to know where i, would I, end I up. think addiction running a lot of families a lot it more than you think it does. And it's unfortunate because I've seen a, you know, and even in my, in my practice as an attorney, you know, there's a lot of drinking that get, that goes on and a lot of, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of mistakes that probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for alcohol. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and what kind so, of law, what kind of law you practice? My husband used to be a lawyer. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I do, uh, trial work for plaintiffs in personal injury actions and wrongful death cases. 
That's yeah. great. And my husband, he he did a lot of trial, but he's oh, more he... like family law attorney, foster oh. care. Oh, okay. Now, tell me, your husband, how long have you guys been married? Over 33 years. Wow. Young marriage for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, you too. <laughs> yeah. He is he um and and your is he he sounds like he's very supportive of your acting career. Mm -hmm. Oh, he he loves it. I think his dream was he wished he could become a film director or something, but he used to work in film before law school. Oh, okay. Cool. And so um you know, and your kids, how, how old are your kids? She's 23. Oh, 23. Okay. And uh, I'm assuming she's supportive of mom and her acting career. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, so tell me what's next for you. I mean, you've got a talk show now you've been in this, you've been an accidental getaway driver. You've been on blue bloods. You've done Dawn of skates. So what's next? I'm going to do a, a student film this weekend after my job. On Saturday night and then after the talk show, I will, you know, shoot for, for, for a film. And we can find the talk show on YouTube. Yes. So, and it's, you said it's dollar filter. sign 9021. Not dollar sign, number sign, but it's filter 90211. George Anton, picture Anton, A-N-T-O-N. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. So um, there's a few, there's a few questions that I'll, I'll wrap up with you here shortly, but I, there's a few questions I ask everybody and I want to, I want to ask them of you. Um, you've had a lot of, you've had a lot of experience in your life and um, want to ask, what would you say is your greatest success? Well, I, I have to say my family, mm. the marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, and, uh, what would you say is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Yeah, it's probably loosely based on academic. Mm. What I Wait, you, you feel like you're a failure in your academics? Yes, because it takes me a long time to accomplish anything academic. I, I didn't, it's just like, I I should have, um, or this is, I didn't know, but I should have got the extra help like people are, are doing in school nowadays. And in those days, they, they should look at my record. They say, you, you never cut school. You never fight with anyone. And they did not give you the extra help. Mm. And one of the principal I know said that, you know, you just forgot to take the garbage can and throw it up, this, throw in the cafeteria and torn the school apart. You would miss that. If you have done that, you wouldn't have gotten help. Well, you know what I think is interesting about that? I found that really interesting, and I'll tell you why. I, I think, not knowing you before an hour and 10 minutes ago, that I would say from the outsider's perspective, that is one of the most impressing things about you. You, you have a learning disability and have a difficulty with processing, yet you have a master's in business a PhD in psychology or a psych D in psychology. You've been a school psychologist for 25 years. You're you went all the way in your education. That's so that, that's what's so you 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 say that's your failure because it's a, it's your your biggest struggle. But man, talk about taking your biggest failure and making it a strength and a success. I mean, that's so impressive. I don't you, have a choice. I don't have a choice, like I said. Yeah, I don't have a choice. But but the thing is, is you you to me are a shining example. There are so many people out there 
who they would have your disability and they would look at that and they use it as an excuse and they'd say well i can't do that because they, better, they probably have a better life they might have a better life <laughs> who knows they, maybe but, no, I, but I, don't, I don't think so because listen think about i view life as a as a series of accomplishments and and at the you know i view life sometimes as kind of a a resume and your resume is stacked and and the thing is is that there's good there's so many people out there who would say well i'm not where i want to be because of them or because of this you have to understand my my childhood was terrible my mom didn't love me enough i have a learning disability i have a mental health issue and so that's why i'm i've done nothing and accomplished anything and i have no control over everything here you are, and this is what I, I see you as, Tiffany. You, you came over to a country that you didn't know with no, no, with a language barrier at the age of 12. It's not like you came over at the age of five. You came over in middle school, and then you went from there not knowing anybody, not knowing how to speak to anybody, and you went all the way through your education and now you're in the entertainment industry and you have been in a in a in a series of successful movies and and theater and all these things you are the american dream yeah well if there's a will there's a way yes and that's what's that's what i love this is what i love about this podcast this is what i love about the human experience I have met so many people on this podcast. Some of my some, some I like more than others. But everyone has a story and your story is one that is so impressive because there are so many things that you if you had not accomplished any of the things that you accomplished Tiffany, nobody would say a word about it. If you had quit at any point along the way, everyone would have understood She's an immigrant. She doesn't know the language. She's got a learning disability. Of course, she couldn't finish her MBA. Of course, she couldn't go to college. Of course, she couldn't do, do these things. You just understood that that meant you had to work a little bit harder. Yeah. And, then, and, you, and you accomplished things that many, many people have never accomplished. So I, I would tell you, like, I'm, I'm so glad I got to meet you because... <laughs> Because this is a this is a story that I would share if I was ever speaking publicly. Your story would be the story I would share of not letting anything stop you, and I really appreciate that. But, but also, don't forget, Einstein has a learning disability too. He had one, and then he was he was kicked out of many schools. Yeah, and and Con Edison was kicked out of his school. Also, yeah. it's his mother that saved him, because after his mother died. He went back to her house, go through her drawer and found the letter that they told him to give it to the mother. And he couldn't read any. And it said something the opposite of what his mother told him. Because mm. she, he remembered his mother start crying, said that your son is very brilliant. We cannot teach him here. Please try to teach him yourself and do this and do that. And, and the mother more or less like took over. But that's not what the letter say. The letter said that he, he's unable to learn. We mm. cannot teach someone as low function that he is and he's he's con edison yeah wow man 
So he has a learning disability too. Yeah. And a major one. And also one, my coach told me that she has a friend who son, when he was born, she see that how he absorbed things very slowly. And so what she did, she's an actress. She took him to California, homeschool him so he could, she can do work at the same time. And make long story short, when he turned 18, he speak three languages and he got full scholarship to Vasa College. In wow. upstate New York. And those are the stories, you know, it's funny because then I remember this guy on Facebook who, you know, and people, people get mad at me sometimes because I'm the guy who tells you, you know, that just what you said, there's a will, there's a way. If you really want it, you'll find it. And they're like, oh, Josh, you don't understand my story. And I just go, you know what? I don't need to hear your story. Everyone's got one of those stories. Everyone can find an excuse why they can't do what they want to do. These, these, I'll tell you, you know, not to get into my own personal stuff or anything yeah. like that, but like. I've had a horrendous few years personally. I don't share it publicly, but I've had I've had a horrendous few years, but I've also had some of the most successful years at work in my personal life with my kids that I've ever had in that exact same time frame. And if I had just sat there and said, well, all these terrible things, I can't get the things done that I need to get done, I would have never had those successes. Right, because he with me, I had some health issues when I, my father died. I I fainted. I, I thought I was going to die. It was really terrible. So what happened was I was in Boston, in Brookline, Massachusetts then. And I went back to New York because I was still in grad school. And I said to myself, I need to get a full-time job that can provide me health insurance that did not, that will not ask any questions because I have tried to apply for a job in the private industry. And I asked them, you have allergy shot? Forget mm. it. You never get hired. So, so I started to work with the city. Mm. And it, it turned out to be a good thing. That, so I just fell into it. At first, I worked for ACS, I mean, Child Welfare Protective Services. Mm -hmm. And and then after a while, I say, oh, I, I think I want to become a school psychologist. And I and that's a city job also. So mm -hmm. I carry the pension over. And it turned yeah. out a gift. So, so like my health situation back then, really bad, <laughs> really, really severe. The, the allergy was so unbelievable. And... It's better now because I do alternative. So what I did, I work, I save money. I found some kind of alternative way, like vitamin and, and vitamin C drip, vitamin wellness. And, and those things really help you become stronger. And, and you know, your allergy is not so bad because I don't want to take medication. I don't like medication. Oh, I mean, that's some of that stuff is worse than... Man. Oh, yes. Like, because during, during the, the season, doing final exam in college, mm -hmm. where I was in Amherst, Massachusetts, the allergy was really high and they don't have medication that don't put you to sleep and imagine mm -hmm. studying for final every year like this have a sleep like this and yeah. try to pass all the final right so, oh yeah no, i couldn't imagine right so partly is it's academic failure is because of that partly because of it and yeah. you know other thing i there's things i regret like when i was a child i i didn't like my piano teacher too much or i didn't really study it when i really like it and and i studied again as an older person and the person who taught me, she she was amazed that I was able to do what I did. I mean, not not bragging or anything, but she said, she said like this is incredible. But I couldn't. I was too busy because you know I was a school psychologist studying psychoanalysis. Yeah. It's, it's so I I was not as good as I should be. Like I should have to try to study harder as a young child. And another thing is, when I was in school, I 
in Vietnam. I studied French. I mean, I can speak it a little bit, but I really do everything I could not to learn it because I didn't like the fact that the teacher hit me. <laughs> well, I should have just go for it. And, you know, I could be fluent in the language and, you know, read the literature. But, uh, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because when I, I went on a mission for my church when I was 19 and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, most of my friends could go, you know, they ended up going to like, you know, they went to, I don't know, Brazil or, you know, Bolivia, all these different countries that they could go to and speak different languages. And I went to Indiana, you know, because I, I marked on the little, there's a little place you could mark how effective you think you'd be with another language of <laughs> it all. And so they, they left me stateside, but. Anyhow, um, so one last question. I, I appreciate your time uh, in talking with me about your story. Uh, at some point in the future, the distant future, you know, you're going to pass away and there's going to be a funeral. And when there's a funeral, someone's going to give you a eulogy. And what would be one thing you would want someone to, you hope someone would say in your eulogy? I would say I, I stop at nothing and I make no apology. Yeah. Like saying I'm Tiffany Rothman and I make no apology. No, that's great. You know, that's that's something that's that I think is really great. And what I've appreciated about you is I there are some of these podcasts that I get that sometimes I walk away and I go, I just don't feel like that was the person was being authentic. But I, I do feel like today I got the authentic, authentic Tiffany Rothman, and I can't wait to see what you do next. I can't wait until I get to see. The, I, I I looked everywhere. I couldn't find accidental getaway getaway driver. Once once it's once I can find it streaming somewhere or purchase a Blu-ray, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna watch it. I'll let you know. It's it's um, a lovely film. It's very sensational. Yeah, I can't I can't wait. And uh, and then you have Dawn of Skates coming out in May, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's like a, at a small place because she wanted to raise money to go for, to a film festival. Oh, okay, okay. And then um. And then they can catch you on your talk, your talk show, which we've already talked about. And so, yes. Well, well, Tiffany, thank you for letting me come on and and talk with you. Thanks for coming on my podcast. I very much appreciate thank it. You. Let's you know, let's do this again next time you have a, a big a big premiere. Let me know. We'll get you back on here and we'll let everybody know about it. Okay? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And it was a pleasure. It was nice meeting your kids too. Yeah, yeah, we did that before. Your four children know how lucky they are to have a wonderful guy like you for a father. Uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, oh, and I got to tell everybody to subscribe. If you've made it this far, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, we'll uh, and and thanks, Tiffany. And we'll talk to you again soon. Yes, thank you so so much. You'll be well.